Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to the chapel as well. My name is Abram Eberson. I'm the sending director here, um, which means I'm over missions and outreach here at the chapel. And I just want to say it is such a privilege to be part of a church that is just sold out for God's great commission to send people to the ends of the earth. What a privilege it is. What an honor it is to be a part of a church like that. If you were with us last week, uh, we started a series uh, that really kicks us off into the new year, into 2024. And the series is just a short two-part one that's focused on how to have a God-honoring life in 2024. Last week, we looked at how to honor God through loving him. And we studied Deuteronomy 6, which is a famous passage called the Shema, which was just a calling uh, for Israel to turn from idols and to turn to God, to leave all that behind and to look to the Lord and to love him wholeheartedly with everything that they had, right? It had this beautiful verse 5 that said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And just as Israel was called to do that, so too we are called to love God wholeheartedly. However, we know that we are going to fall short of this. We are not going to love God wholeheartedly. And so then what do we do, right? And that's why it's so important for us to have scripture written on our hearts because scripture points us back to Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. And so whenever we fall short this year, we turn to the gospel, we turn to Jesus, we repent and we believe, and it's through this process that we can honor the Lord and we have this relationship with him. And part two of the series for today is really just an overflow of what part one is. If we are loving God, we are honoring him, the natural overflow of that is to love God's people. So today we are gonna be looking at that. Uh, and to start us off, I just want to read an article. Um, it's really an NPR segment from All Things Considered. It was from this past year in May. And it really highlights this epidemic of loneliness that is uh, just present within uh, American society. And it actually creates this, it, it notes this link between loneliness and the actual physical manifestation, the physical consequences of this. And so it says, in the, in the last few decades... We've just lived through a dramatic pace of change. We move more, we change jobs more often, we are living with technology that has profoundly changed how we interact with each other and how we talk to each other. It says you can feel lonely even if you have lots of people around you because loneliness is about the quality of your connections, not the quantity of your connections. And this next one is staggering, but it really doesn't come as a surprise. It says, across age groups, people are spending less time with each other in person than two decades ago. The advisory reported that this was most pronounced in young people, age 15 through 24, who had 70% less social interaction with their friends. So if you're 35 to 45, the current 15 to 25-year-olds have 70% less social interaction right now than what you did when you were 15 uh, to 25, which is staggering when you think about that, 70% less. 
It goes on to make that link between loneliness and our health. It says, there is an epidemic of loneliness in the United States and lacking connection can increase the risk for premature death to levels comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The physical consequences of poor connection can be devastating, including 29% increased risk of heart disease, 32% increased risk of stroke, and 50% increased risk of developing dementia for older adults. Right, so as we hear something like that, we notice that loneliness is literally killing us. Right, loneliness is literally killing us, and this is because we weren't designed to live in isolation. Right, God designed us to live life together in community with him and in community with his people. And whenever we don't do that, there are devastating consequences as I just read. Right, and so today's message is titled, Honoring God Through Loving His People, Life Together in 2024, right? The cure to loneliness, this loneliness epidemic is community, Christian community under the headship of Christ, right? As people are suffering from loneliness, the cure to that is community under the headship of Christ, right? And as we look forward into 2024 and we think about it, right, there should be no such thing as a lonely Christian, right? In our body, no one should be suffering from loneliness because we are one body, we are one church. So to, to look at this, um, we are gonna be looking at Acts chapter two. At the end of Acts chapter two, there's this beautiful picture that Luke writes of the early church and what they were really devoting themselves to, what life together looked like for them. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter two, we're going to be verse 42 through 47. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, and this is just a snapshot of what the early church looked like. It said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so I just wanna pray for us as we study this scripture. So Father, we just come before you. We dedicate this time to you. Lord, we are thankful for your scripture and how it guides us. I pray you would give me wisdom and clarity to just speak uh, clearly about your word. I pray you would just illuminate all of our hearts to the truths that you have in this passage for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So if we look back at verse 44 again, you see it starts with the pronoun they. And for us, it's important to understand who we're talking about in this verse. Right, so if you actually, in your Bible, just look to the left one page in chapter two, you're actually gonna see that uh, Paul, or that uh, Peter gives this sermon, right? And so he gives this sermon, and there's 3,000 people that end up getting saved, and so the church uh, in one day grows by 3,000 people, and you end up getting about 3,120 people total. But what's important to notice about them is what they are devoting themselves to, Right, it said they're devoting themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
right? And Luke gives this as an overview, kind of a summary of what life together looked like for the early church. These are the four things they were devoting themselves to. Right, and, before, and what we're going to do today is just look at each one of these four things and see how they apply to us, uh, the chapel, um, our church in this upcoming year. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to point out one thing for us to observe from verse 42, and that's that they were actually devoting themselves to these things. Right, they were devoting themselves. And uh, to give a picture of what that is, I looked up some synonyms for devotion. And here are some. It says dedicated, loyal, faithful, steadfast, passion, enthusiasm, love. Right, this is a beautiful picture of what life together looks like when we are devoted to one another. We love one another. We are faithful. We are steadfast, enthusiastic. Right, and one pastor that I listened to, uh, he said it this way. He said that the early church was profoundly dedicated to one another. Right, they were profoundly dedicated to one another. And when I think of this idea of being profoundly dedicated or devoted, um, an example that comes to me is really a sports illustration, and uh, it's Kobe Bryant. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure everyone in here is familiar with him, but what he was known for was his dedication and devotion to the game of basketball, Um, so, so much, in fact, that many people said he was psychotic about his devotion to basketball. In practices, he would kick other players out if they weren't practicing hard enough. And he became known, he had this whole kind of mantra about his life, uh, just called the Mamba mentality, right, of being so dedicated to the sport, right, that it's everything that you do. You love it. You're enthusiastic about it. You're passionate about it. And if you weren't passionate enough on his team, he would kick you out. And so it's, it's this type of passion that comes to my mind of how we are to be dedicated to one another, Right, and so the first thing we see that the church is dedicating and devoting themselves to is the apostles' teaching. So point number one for us today is that life together is centered on Scripture. Right, life together is centered on Scripture. Right, and I I mentioned that they was this new group of believers within the church, right? So we have about 3,120 people gathering together now. And what's important to notice about This is that the 3,000, right, their starting point in this life together in the family of God actually starts with Scripture, right? So Peter stood up and he preached this amazing sermon, and the Holy Spirit had convicted their souls by the clear preaching of God's Word, and they actually believed in the gospel, right? And it's through the sharing of the Word of God and the conviction of the Spirit that people come to faith and join the church, right? That is the starting point of life together in Christ is through scripture, right? And all of us in this room at one point or another who confess Christ as our Lord were brought into the church by hearing the word of God either preached or taught or shared with us. Right, the word of God is the starting point of life together in the church. But what's important to note is that it's not just the starting point. Right, life together in the the church is sustained. It is uh, by scripture. Scripture is the heartbeat of the church, right? It's the starting point and it's the heartbeat. Scripture is what brings spiritual life and spiritual growth 
to the church, right? That's why it's so important for us to be devoted to Scripture, right? We need to hear it preached. We need to study it. We need to teach it. We need to memorize it, meditate on it, encourage one another with it, even counsel one another with it, right? Because what happens if we as a church, if we are not centered on God's word, right? So if we are not centered on God's word, what happens, right? The church will wither and die. So if you were with us in 2022, we celebrated our 50-year anniversary, and one of the guest speakers we had was a man named Greg. And so Greg and his family, they had church planted amongst an unreached group in Siberia. And so he had come to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the chapel, uh, and he actually spoke for a little bit. And he's, what he talked on was the importance of God's word. And so after they had completed their church plant, uh, he continued to travel and work within kind of the missions world. And he would go around and he would survey churches that had been planted in unreached groups. And he started to notice something about these churches, right? So churches that had scripture and churches that didn't have scripture, right? So the churches that had scripture translated into their language were thriving and continuing to grow generation after generation. But the churches that didn't have scripture translated would slowly die out after generation one or generation two, right? Scripture is the heartbeat of the church. It is what provides spiritual life and spiritual growth, right? And what's the outcome of a body of believers who are devoted to the apostles' teaching? Will they actually become obedient to this teaching by living a life of fellowship with one another, Right, and we see this in verses 44 and 45. We see Luke explaining what fellowship looked like for the early church, and it's really a beautiful picture. And 44, 45 says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And so our second point for today is that life together consists of fellowship. Right, life together consists of fellowship. And when Luke uses this word fellowship, the root meaning of that word is to be in common, to have in common, to share. Right, so that's the picture that we have in our mind. And this was a group of people who were so bonded together that they were actually treating each other as they would treat themselves. Right, they were united. They were one body. And if one part of the body was struggling, they would just instinctively know to help out. Right, that's how unified they were, and that's how in tune and generous they were with one another. Right, and we see this beautiful picture all throughout the New Testament of talking about the church as the body of Christ. Paul writes this in Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work, right? It's this beautiful picture of this body coming together, right? And as one part of the body struggles, the other part steps in and helps out. What this reminds me of is our care ministry. If you're not familiar with what the care ministry, I have their mission statement up here for us, and I'm just gonna read that for us. Our care ministry, so this is the chapel's care ministry, supports and guides individuals, couples, and families, and hear this, with life, 
life-giving care as they navigate through change in every season of life. Right, so the chapel's a pretty big church, and we have multiple services, and so it's easy for us to miss one another, right? And so it's hard for us to be in tune, and so we have the care ministry which steps in and helps people in need, right? I think of uh, these leaders who are in charge of the care ministry, and every time I hear a story of them stepping in and helping out, I can't help but just think about how happy and excited and full of joy they are to actually be able to help the body of Christ. And so if you are in a season of life that is difficult, where you're struggling, whatever the need is, they will be happy to step in and help provide life-giving care, right? And it's not just financial needs that they help with, even though they do that, but it's coaching, it is uh, counseling, it is helping with all sorts of things. They will step in and gladly help out. So if we as a body, this is how we come together, how we fellowship, how we have in common, how we share our things, right? And each month, if you don't know, the first Sunday of each month, we have a special offering called the Care Ministry Offering, which is actually this Sunday, and you'll hear more um, at the closing announcement. But we give specifically towards the care ministry to help out those who are in need. So that's the care ministry here at the chapel. We see in the early church that they were devoted to fellowship, being in common, having in common, sharing with one another. Then we see the third thing that they were devoted to was the breaking of bread. It says this, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Right, so how do you cure this epidemic of loneliness in our country? Well, I think verse 46 gives us that answer, right? We, we are living in a world that is constantly just pushing us away from each other, right? When I uh, grew up in Alexandria and when I was in an elementary school, the fair came to town. And every time the fair came to town, it was a big deal. Everyone would go. And so I went and there was this one specific ride that I just absolutely loved. And it was called the Gravitron, right? What a sick name. But the, the point of this was it was shaped like a UFO and you get in it and you kind of lean back and it just starts to spin and spin and spin. And I don't know how many G's you were pulling in that thing, but it was definitely not regulated. And so you would sit in, we would sit in, and the whole point of it was to try and like lift your body up. So it's spinning and just pushing you back. And it just pushes you into your own little section where you're trying to fight just to get your head up. And so we, uh, my group of friends, we just did it over, over, over again until we eventually hurled. And then I have never been back to a fair ever since. <laughs> but this Gravitron, the, the reason I mention it is because that's kind of how our society is. We're living in a social centrifuge that's just spinning and pushing us into our own little sections of life, right? This is how our society is really designed. You think of our houses right? Our own little family living in a house. We have our fences and it's really the higher the fence, the better because we want to block out our neighbors. And in our homes, we have our own rooms, right? Each kid needs to have his or her own room because God forbid our kids actually learn to share with one another. And then we drive our own cars to work. We have our own cubicles, our own office spaces, right? Our whole culture is pushing us into our own sections of life and we have to fight to be together, Right, we have to fight to have fellowship. Another example that comes to my mind is an example of a Liverpool Football Club. 
I don't know how many European soccer fans are out there in the crowd, but Liverpool is one of the teams. Um, and I grew up and I had a friend who was just a diehard Liverpool fan, which there are no other types of Liverpool fans. You are either all in or you are all out. There is no such thing as a lukewarm Liverpool fan. And so I had uh, my buddy who was a diehard Liverpool fan. I remember in his room, he'd have the jerseys on the wall. He had the poster of the 05 Champions League, all of that, Steven Gerrard, Jamie Carragher, the whole thing. And then he had this scarf over his bed, And on the scarf, it said the motto of Liverpool, which was, you'll never walk alone, right? So if you're a fan of Liverpool, you're never going to walk alone. You're part of the family. But the funny thing is, we were in Alexandria, and Alexandria doesn't have that many European soccer fans. Um, If you've ever been to Senla, you understand that. And so, like a good teenage friends, we would always make fun of him, and we'd always joke, and instead of saying, you'll never walk alone, we always said, you'll always walk alone. You're the only Liverpool fan. And so we gave him a hard time about that, but you'll never walk alone. And I feel like if the early church had a motto, it was probably something like, you'll never eat alone, right? They were in each other's homes every day, breaking bread together, right? They were not lonely. And it makes me think, too, in my life for my wife, Helen, and I, just how encouraging it is to to share a meal with people from the chapel, right? Our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So if we have friends over, it's just so encouraging. And in our life stage, we have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a nine-month-old, right? So it's, it's just chaos. But just inviting other young families over, and you gotta be careful with that because you end up inviting two families over and then you have like 15 kids that show up, right? There's kids all over the place. But I just think of how encouraged we are, right? Even if we're not having deep conversations, right? We're just there eating together, living life together. And it's, it's just, yeah, it's like nourishment to our souls. We are encouraged by it. There's a joy in our hearts after because we get to see other couples who are trying to live their marriage in a way that's honoring unto God. We see them parenting their kids, trying to raise their kids up in a way that's honoring to the Lord. And it's just so encouraging to have people in our home and to share a meal with them, right? And the early church was doing that every day. So point number three for us is that life together is sustained by the breaking of bread. Life together is sustained by the breaking of bread. And so from my study of Acts 2, um, it was not fully clear if Luke was um, what he meant by breaking of bread, if it was just the sharing of a meal or if it also meant communion. Uh, He probably meant both. When he said that, the NLT actually translates it, uh, they're commit, uh, devoted to the sharing in meals, and then in parentheses it says, including the Lord's Supper, right? So I think it is both. Luke is talking about just sharing meals together, but also taking communion together. And so I just want to touch on communion for just a minute. All right, because I want to bring us back to verse 43. In verse 43, it says this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So this was a group of people who were marked by this sense of awe of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
right? They were marked by the awe. They were filled with awe. It says they were in awe of the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And I just want to make the connection, the link between uh, these amazing wonders and signs and the awe that they were filled with, and then actually communion, spending uh, or breaking the bread together, Right, so it says that uh, they were at all of the signs and miracles performed by the apostles. And something to keep in mind, whenever there's these miraculous signs and these um, amazing things happening, these wonders, these were always supposed to be uh, authenticators of the authority of the message of the apostles, right? So as they were doing these amazing things, it would validate and authenticate the authority that they had and the uh, pointing back to the message that they had. And it was very clear that their message was always the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So as I think of what is most gospel-centered, most gospel-focused, I can't think of anything other than communion, right? What is more gospel-centered than communion? What is more gospel-focused than communion, right? And in my mind, the experience that they had of this awe that filled the church was at its peak when they were actually taking communion together. And I say this because what a vivid reminder of the gospel communion is, right? The breaking of Christ's body, right? Broken on the cross for sinful man and his blood, the new covenant made between God and man through Christ, right? Salvation for all who believe. What is more awe-inspiring than that? Joining together under, under the bread and the cup. And I just want to take a second, and if you would, just kind of imagine with me. So imagine you're one of these 3,000 who just heard Peter's sermon, and the Spirit convicted you, and you believed, and you have joined the church, and then all of a sudden, they invite you into their home to share a meal with them. Right, and so the church just went from 120 to 3,120, and they're all just jam-packed in these homes. Right, so you're jam-packed, the meal is ready, you're sitting down shoulder to shoulder with someone else, and right before you start to eat, all of a sudden you see someone in the back. Just stand up, and you notice it's the same guy that just gave the sermon, and Peter stands up. Right, and he's holding two things in his hand. One is a loaf of bread, and the other is a cup of wine. And he takes the bread and he starts explaining what communion is, right? And he takes the bread and he breaks it, explaining how this is the body of Christ broken for his people. Then he pinches off a piece and he passes the loaf and everyone else takes a little piece, right? And then he picks up the cup and he explains how the cup of wine is the the blood of Christ, the new covenant, right? In Christ, we have been reunited with God, And he takes a sip and he starts to pass it around, right? And as the elements are passed around, he continues to explain how he was there, right? He saw Jesus. He was discipled by Jesus. He was there at the Last Supper for that first communion when Jesus was explaining to them to do this in remembrance of me. And when you do it, you are proclaiming my death, right? Peter was there, discipled by Jesus for the first communion, And Peter was also there when he saw Jesus' body broken on the cross, right? So in my mind, Peter's probably crying as he's explaining this beautiful picture of what communion is, and you're sitting there just partaking, right? And I just think of the awe that must have been in that room, 
right? Seeing this vivid picture of what the gospel is, of who Jesus is, his body broken, his blood spilled, and you're seeing an apostle leading you through communion who knew Jesus, who saw all of this happen, right? So I can't think of a more awe-inspiring moment than communion, right? And then the last thing uh, that the apostles or the early church was devoting themselves to was to prayer, right? They were a group of people devoted to praying, and what's really cool is that their prayers actually led them to praise, Their prayers led them to praise. Verse 47 says this, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Point number four for us is that life together leads to praise. Life together leads to praise, right? If we are devoting ourselves to scripture, if we're devoting ourselves to fellowship, if we are devoting ourselves to breaking of bread and to prayer, the only natural outcome of this is going to be praising our good and gracious God, right? So as we as a chapel body, as a church come together this 2024, we still have 51 weeks ahead of us, right? We're one week in and I just wanna challenge us, right? To live this 2024 in a way that honors God, right? By loving him, by loving his people, right? There should be no lonely Christians within our community. We have a tremendous privilege to be able to live life together to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful and thankful for this passage of scripture as it is just a reminder and a picture for us of what church can look like. Lord, if we are devoting ourselves, if we are committed, if we are um, loving one another, enthusiastic, Father, to meeting together, God, to studying your word, to learning from your word, Father, not of the overflow of that for us to have fellowship, to be in common, to be part of one another, right? We are all parts of the same body with Christ as our head. Lord, in the breaking of bread, as we share meals with one another, and ultimately as we partake in communion with one another, Lord, that we are reminded of the gospel of Christ, and we proclaim the gospel of Christ. And then as we pray together, and all of this leads to praise, Lord, may this 2024 be a year where we glorify you and we honor you with everything that we have. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.